You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. Good evening, Southridge. It's so good to see you guys tonight. I am so grateful to be here. If this is your first time at Southridge, we ask that you fill out the connection card and drop it off outside, and we have a gift for our first-time guests. And as I was reading the book of Hosea this morning, I was reminded of this verse, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. That verse right there reminded me that sometimes we come to God's house broken. Maybe you've felt some brokenness um, throughout the week. And the next part says, Now He will heal us. He has endured us. Now He will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, He will restore us so that, so that we may live in His presence. And I want, this is my prayer for us tonight in verse number three. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know Him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of dawn or the coming of rains in early spring. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this time that we can lift up your name for you are high and exalted and lifted up and holy. And Father, we love you. And we pray right now that you would be glorified in all that is done and said. And I pray, Lord, that you would do what I simply cannot do. May your Holy Spirit have free reign in this place to speak the word of truth that each and every heart needs to hear. I pray that you would illuminate your word, that your word would go forth, that it would be a help to those who need the encouragement. I pray that it be the conviction for those who need to change some things in their life. I pray that your word would do the work of a two-edged sword, Father, that it would pierce to the dividing of sunder. I pray that you would do a great work in our midst, Father. Lord, I pray that the work that you began here and now would spread across our homes. It would spread across our communities and our neighborhoods and impact our city and impact our county and our country, Father. Lord, don't let the work stop here. Don't let what we hear right now tonight go in one ear and out the other. May we be doers of the word and not simply hearers only, deceiving ourselves. Father, may we take what you are teaching us and may we go forth into this world that hates you that hates anything that a believer stands for and may we be salt and light as you are pushing back the darkness father there is nothing that can stop you nothing can stand in your way may we be fully surrendered to you we pray in jesus name and all god's people said amen thank you for standing god bless you you may be seated if you have a copy of god's word would you go to the book of acts let's go to book of acts chapter number four acts chapter number four I know last week we were in chapter 5, and we're going to go back one chapter, but it's so good to see each and every one of you this evening. I want to welcome you. I also want to give a, just a few quick uh, announcements, as well as just to let you know about a couple things. If you have children at any time in the service, you want to uh, 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 take them into the prayer room, we'd love to invite you to go to the prayer room. There's also a gym that's available, and so you can take them to either one of those locations. And very soon, at the end of this month, we'll be launching our Ridge Kids again in the evenings, and so we'll have full child care. So yes, our children's pastors are all excited about that. That's going to be great. And uh, they have a wonderful facility here. And we're so grateful and thankful for Calvary Chapel opening their facility to us. And the air is on. It may not necessarily totally feel like it, but it's on. It's better than last week. So the, uh, that was really kind of them to leave on the air. So, so grateful that they did that. But let's dive into God's word this evening. And we're in Acts chapter number four. But by way of introduction, have you ever wondered the things that you never want to end seem like they end too fast. You know, like those of you that remember your wedding day, you just wanted that day to last forever. Uh, that, that one first kiss, you just wanted to last forever. You know, that, that, that one moment at Disneyland, you just wanted to last forever. But the moments that you wish would last the longest seem to last the shortest. And the moments that you wish would be the shortest tend to be the longest. And right now, maybe you're thinking, hey, I was told this thing was going to be three weeks back in March. And man, if I have to homeschool one more child, I may not have as many children as I used to have at the end of this. If I have to go back to homeschooling and uh, maybe certain thoughts are, are creeping into your mind as you're seeing what's happening on the news. 
And it's real easy to step back and just be discouraged, isn't it? It's real easy to be overwhelmed by everything. Right now, today, sometimes, personally, I struggle with how to handle all the headlines. Because it seems like not just every couple of weeks are we dealing with something new. It seems like each and every day there is something major that's popping up that now we have to deal with. Now we have to handle. Now we have to pray over. Now we have to wrestle with. And it just seems overwhelming. And maybe you're thinking, Pastor, what do we do with all of this? Well, I want to do the only thing that I know to do. And that's go to God's word with God's people in God's house. Acts chapter number 4. Let's begin reading in verse number one because you may be feeling that overwhelmed feeling, and I believe that scripture has a help and encouragement to us. Verse number one says this, now as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, uh, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they had saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them. It is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. These two men, it's Peter and John, and here they are being persecuted. And we pick up the passage in Acts chapter number 4, and they're dealing with So much opposition. And maybe you're feeling like you're dealing with a lot of opposition. Maybe you feel overwhelmed by all the circumstances. Maybe when you mention to people that you're going to go to church, they call you names or they say things about you and and they say that's irresponsible. Maybe you're dealing with that. Maybe you're dealing with the financial uh, problems. Maybe you're dealing with the health problems. It just seems like everybody's coming against you. In this passage, we notice that there's 11 different groups that are coming against Peter and John. 11 different groups. We find them in verses 1 through 6. You can count them. First, they had the priests. They came against them. Then you had the captain of the temple. They came against them. Then you had the Sadducees, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were the family of the high priest. This is 11 different people and groups that are all against what Peter and John are doing. And this is the same group of people that not more than two months prior had taken Jesus in a mock trial and condemned him to die on the cross. It's the same group of people that Peter and John are now standing before. It's the same group of Peter, people that Peter and John, they very well could be next to march to uh, uh, the hill of called Calvary and be nailed to a cross. 
And so this is the situation they find themselves in. This is a dire situation. It's a desperate situation. And they do some things that I think you and I can learn from that can help us. Because you may find yourself in a very difficult situation. One that you just feel like, I don't know what to do. You see, in this passage, I see the first thing that they did to threaten them or to, uh, was first they imprisoned them. In verse number three, they find Peter and John, they're preaching in the temple. So the first thing they do is they want to imprison them. They just want them to stop doing what they're doing. And so they're put in prison, and they laid hands on them, threw them into prison. So first of all, they imprisoned them. And then you see in verse number 17, they intimidated them. It said, but so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. They wouldn't even name the name of Jesus. They just say, hey, don't talk about that man in that name. Isn't it amazing? People don't mind if you talk about Muhammad. They don't mind if you talk about Buddha, Harry Krishna, Joseph Smith. They don't mind if you talk about any other false deity. But the moment you want to start talking about Jesus Christ, that's when they have a problem. Our culture has become uh, more and more uh, antagonistic to people who would name the name of Jesus Christ as Savior, and they want this uh, plurality to come into the church where just accept everything, just embrace everything. And here, they, the, the people that are coming against Peter and John, they say, hey, don't even tell anybody about that name. We, they, they didn't even want to mention it. Maybe the reason they didn't want to mention it is because of the shame in their heart because they know that they condemned an innocent man to die on Calvary. Maybe that's why. We don't know. But they won't even mention the name. And so Peter and John, they're brought before these people. And at any moment, it very well could be that these people could turn the crowds against them. But they were standing close with God. And maybe you feel like, why am I being persecuted right now? Why am I going through all this? And one thing it's encouraging to know is the closer you stand to God the more you're going to get attacked. You say, how is that encouraging? Because the enemy always tries to strike at the captain. And the closer you get to God, guess what? You're going you're to get attacked. And so the more and more you and I press in and we lean in to getting closer to God, well, guess what? That we're going to get attacked more and more. So we see that they imprisoned them. They intimidated them. But then if you read verses 15 down through verse 21... At the end of verse 21, it says, and finding no way of punishing them. They said there was nothing they could really do to stop these people. So in spite of everything that they did do to try and stop Peter and John, it was all ineffective. It, it's almost as if scripture was being fulfilled that, that in the Old Testament where God said, hey, I'm going to put to flight a thousand. Hey, they're, they're going to they're gonna be afraid. They're going to they're gonna turn and run from you. You see, God allowed it so that everything they tried, it was ineffective you see these men were going to do what was right not what was popular they even said hey it's better to obey god they they recited it they said this they said uh whether it is right in the sight of god to listen to you more than to god you judge and then they continued. they said but we can't but speak and preach about the things which we have seen and heard they decided to do what was right they decided to Push on. And what did they decide to do? I love what it says in verse number 10. It says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. The first thing that they did is they preached Jesus Christ as the exalted Savior. They're quoting Psalms 128, verse 22, where it says, you've rejected the chief cornerstone. He's once again calling, back, calling them back to Scripture. He's not just taking one isolated verse and building a theology around it. Like sometimes you see today where somebody will take one verse and say, well, this, this whole verse is the whole reason why we're going we're to go off in this, this, this decision. No, he goes back into the Old Testament. And they preach Christ as exalted. One thing that I love, and whenever we should listen to preaching, preaching should always exalt Jesus as Christ. When you hear preaching that exalts self or exalts your motivation or you can do it, be careful of that. All preaching 
needs to first and foremost exalt Jesus as Christ. Jesus as the anointed one. So the very first thing that they're going to do is once again exalt Jesus. And what the church needs to do today is make sure that the message we preach is about exalting Jesus as Christ. Today it's easy to talk about all the things that are going along in politics. It's easy to get caught up in some of these protests and riots. But first and foremost, we were created to glorify God and to make him great and to exalt him. But today, we see a lot of preaching that would love to put the emphasis on you and I, that would love to make it all about you and I, which does one thing in particular, and that's, first of all, it makes you and I an idol that we worship ourselves. And if humanism was ever on the rise in any place, it's more on the rise in the church. Because we want to hear about how to live our best life. We want to hear about how can I be better and how can I be greater. And it's all about me and, and how can I be something. And, 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 and I, I, and me, me, you're hearing so much of that where that's not what Peter did. Peter instead said, let's exalt Jesus. Let's make it about him. And then he goes on in verse number 12. He says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He not only preached Christ as the exalted Savior, he preached Jesus Christ as the exclusive way of salvation. Whenever you hear anybody preach about salvation, if they allow you to get saved by any other way outside of Christ, some people will say there's many roads to heaven, all roads lead to God. That's heresy. That's false. There's only one way to God. Peter preached that Jesus is exclusive He's not inclusive, he's exclusive. You say, well, that's narrow. You would be correct. We are narrow. We're about that narrow when it comes to the way of salvation. We choose God's word. And we say, what is the one way to heaven? Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, not a truth, not a life. I'm the, the one and only and today you have more and more people that are creeping into the church that'll tell you there's multiple ways to God. And understand, we need to be careful about preaching like that. We need to be preaching that, careful about preaching that exalts us. We need to be careful about preaching that does not teach one way of salvation. And so Peter, he's calling these people back to what salvation looks like. That for you are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's God's gift. Here's a people that they nailed their Savior to a cross who died for their sin, and now they're still trying to perform the temple sacrifice. They're still trying to work their way to heaven. They're still trying to atone for their own sins. And yet today, we can find many Christians who are still trying to get to heaven by their good works. They're trying to do it. They're trying to do it all on their own. And understand that salvation is exclusive. And I know some people don't like teaching about the exclusivity of salvation, but it is. Now, it's interesting to me when people say, well, that's too narrow. I don't know if I could follow a, a, a religious belief that teaches the exclusivity of salvation. That's narrow. Well, you know something? Whenever I fly on an airplane, I like my pilot to land on the runway. Now, imagine for a second that your pilot says, that's too constricting. That's too narrow-minded. I've got all that open field. I want to land anywhere I want to. Just think what would happen. It would be tragic. He would land. There'd be no runway. The brakes wouldn't properly start. He may stop, but more than likely, that's going to end up in a disaster. And so many Christians, when we get outside of God's word, we end up leading our lives to disaster. And so we've got to come back to a couple simple truths that Peter preached. And this is why he was persecuted. And can I tell you, church, that you will be persecuted as well if you teach and preach and live by the fact that you want to exalt Jesus, that there's an exclusive way to heaven. There's only one way. I know you've got all kinds of spiritual teachers out there that they will try and discredit that or try to encourage you to find alternate routes or other routes to heaven. But understand, we come back to this one truth that Jesus Christ is exclusive. Today, people are swimming in the sea of pleasures and we're throwing them a life jacket. And they said, no, no, I'm happy. I'm good. I don't, I don't, I don't need that life jacket. 
Why? Because our preaching is telling them that you're okay, everything's fine, you're good, you have good intentions, you meant well. After all, the preaching's all about you. Instead, we need to preach so that people know that they're not swimming in the sea of pleasure. They are swimming in a sea of pain and they are drowning. It is only the drowning man that will receive the life jacket. It is only the man who knows what their life is at stake that they will receive that salvation. So at times, preaching may convict us of our sin, but that's why we need a glorious Savior. We need to know that I can't rescue myself. I can't save myself. But today we need to be careful. There's a lot of preaching that will shun the fact that, hey, you can do it, and it's all about you. So we need to be careful, and we need to preach right. But then notice something amazing. In fact, all throughout this passage, you see their reaction and how they reacted to these difficult circumstances. But I love verse 13 the most. And we're going to kind of camp out here in verse 13 through the end of the passage. Verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I love it because it shows something. It says that they were confusing their critics. You say, what do you mean? Because all these 11 groups of people, oh, they were something big, weren't they? I mean, these are the Pharisees, the Sadducees. Many believe that the Apostle Paul would be in the same crowd as well. Very educated people, people that knew a lot about uh, the Old Testament, people that knew a lot about uh, the, 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 the religious passages. And here come two uneducated, untrained fishermen, and they marveled at them. They marveled because they were thinking, where did these guys learn so much? Where did they get this? And they started looking at their life, and they couldn't find the secret to their source. Is it something when people look at you, they step back and they say, there's something special about you? They look at you and they say, man, they have a lot of patience. Wow, they're so good with their children. Oh, their marriage is something I would love to have. Oh, look at the way they love God's word. Look at the way they serve God's people. When people look at you, are they confused by you? Or do they immediately have you figured out? Do they kind of look at you and they kind of say, oh, it's easy to figure that person out? You see, they marveled. And then they said, oh, now it makes sense. They spent a lot of time with Jesus. When people look at you, do they immediately think that person spent a lot of time with Jesus? Or do they look at you and think, you should probably spend more time with Jesus? The way you got upset on the one-on-one in traffic. The way you gave that person the, num- the, the number one finger with your middle finger. You know, that, that you maybe spend a little bit more time with Jesus. Maybe you need a little bit more time with Jesus. Maybe your wife is thinking, I wish you would spend a little bit more time with Jesus. Maybe your children were thinking, I wish mom and dad would spend a little bit more time with Jesus. Would people be able to look at you and know that person has spent time with Jesus? Because that's what we need today. Oh, I know we can make political arguments and we can get upset about everything's happening and we can call everything fake news and we can get upset about them wanting to shut down churches, shut down schools. But more importantly, instead of getting upset by all the things I cannot control, I need to get upset by the one thing I can control and that's how much time am I spending on my knees with my Bible in prayer before God. I can control that. And then when I get around people, they marvel not at me, they look at me and think, oh, small little guy. Man, why does he talk so loud? You know? Why is he so up and upset about everything? Everything's so, so anxious. What's going on? Hmm, that person must spend some time with Jesus. That person must spend some time seeking God. That person must know the secret of Psalms 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. You see, these men were not intimidated. They would not be threatened. They would not stop. They would not give up. They were relentless. Why? Please write this down if you're taking notes. Because... When you are intimate with God, you are not intimidated by man. When you are intimate with God, you are not intimidated by man. The reason many of us are so upset and so bothered by the political spectrum, we're so upset and so bothered by everything we see on the news, we're so upset and we're so bothered is because we spend so little time with God. 
Because the man or the woman that spends great time with God understands that he holds the world in the palm of his hand. He has measured out the universe with a span, which is the thumb to the, index, to the pinky. That is a span. So God measures the universe and goes, it's about that big. So my God is in complete control of everything that's going on. And when I spend time with him, he deals with my anxiety. He deals with my anxious spirit. He deals with my fear. He deals with my worry. He deals with everything that's going on that I can't control. Because I remember that God just looks at the universe and says, I can't even see your problem, Micaiah Ermler. Why are you so upset about that problem? Because I measure the universe, and I can't even see your problem when I measure the entire universe. That's how big our God is. But many times, you and I, we cave, and we give in, and we are afraid because we have not spent time with God. We have not said, God, speak to me. Reveal to me your truth. And stay there until God speaks to us. And we stay in that hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, where we say, God, I need your word. I dare not go to work. I dare not go to any place until, God, you speak to me, until I am filled with your word. You see, when you love God's word, you lose your appetite for the world. Many of us struggle with our appetites for worldly things. It's because we have not changed our taste. Many years ago, when we were raising our children to eat baby food, and some of that baby food is very gross, by the way, but you know you got to feed it to them, right? One of the things my wife came up with, she said, you know what the book of Proverbs says to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. So if they're not going to eat it, they don't get nothing else. So when she would blend up that squash and she would put all that other baby carrots in and any other green stuff that just looks vile, babies wouldn't eat it. That's fine. We'll come back later. You're going to get hungry eventually. And eventually they ate it. What's happened today is people say, well, I'm not hungry for preaching like that. Oh, I'm not hungry for the word like that. Just wait. You're filling yourself up on other things that are filling you up. It's carbohydrates. We love our carbs, don't we? It's easy to get full on bread. Have you ever noticed why restaurants keep giving you a bunch of bread at these buffets? They don't want you to eat the other food. They want you to fill up on the carbs. That's why they put the carbs first. And today we've got more Christians that are carbaholic Christians. We just want fluff, nothing that's nutritious. We don't want to get deep into God's word. We don't want to spend time there. We don't want to rightly divide the truth. We don't want to have preachers that are really digging into God's word that says, thus saith the Lord. We don't even care if our preachers live holy lives. We don't don't examine Because we're afraid if I have a preacher who lives a holy life, he might start encouraging me to have a holy life. So I'd rather have a preacher who's a hypocrite because then he'll let me be a hypocrite. Am am I getting too close to home? Is it getting hot in here? The air is on. Might be conviction. You see, because we love to be around people who are sick like us. We love to be around people who have our struggles because then guess what? Then I'm not as sick. Because if everybody's sick like me, guess what? I'm not that bad. I'm doing better than you, doing better than you, better than you. It's all good. Instead of getting around people that are all whole, people that are doing well, walking in the joy of the Lord, walking in repentance of sin. You see, these people, they knew, these men knew the intimacy with God. They knew how to get alone with God. They weren't easy to figure out at first. At first, it was like looking at Samson. Where's the secret to his strength? My question for you this evening is, where's the secret of your strength? Can people sense where your strength comes from that this person has a prayer life like no other that this person memorized scripture like no other that this person sings praise like no other that this person has the joy of the lord that this person has a peace beyond understanding where is your secret today i feel christians are so easy to figure out you see it wasn't their intellect that impressed them it wasn't their arguments that impressed them it wasn't their influence in reaching five thousand people in one day it wasn't that I tell you today, if we reached 5,000 people one day, we'd make national news. I'd probably be in jail, too, if 5,000 people showed up. But in that time, that's not what impressed the Pharisees. It wasn't that 5,000 people added to the church in a single day. It wasn't their passionate sermon. It was the fact that they had been with Jesus. That's what impressed them. That when you and I get along with Jesus, that's it. I'm reading a book right now. It's by a man by the name of... Reese Howells, the intercessor. They said when Reese Howells would get up to preach, they said it was nothing special. He said he lacked any coherent text or thought. It was rambled. But they said the most amazing thing would happen is people by the 
Hundreds would just flood to the altar, broken and convicted over their sin. And they said, we can't figure out. This guy's not a very good preacher. I mean, his thoughts are barely coherent. But yet, what is the secret? And then some people started to hang around Reese Howells. And they figured out that this man would pray for over eight hours a day. His entire time, you just, the guy's always praying. Always praying. That's where his secret to his power was. Yet today's church has lost the secret to her power. We think it's about the great worship team, about the great ministry, about the youth ministry, or it's about their marketing, or it's about the TV ministry, or it's about how slick the pastor looks, and about how, how pretty of a wife he has, or what kind of car he drives, or what kind of lifestyle he has that you can emulate, or how many Instagram followers he has, or maybe it's about the beautiful buildings. That's not what should be impressing the world, but yet that's what we value nowadays in church culture. And we wonder why we lack power. We wonder why the world looks at us, and when I mean the world, I'm talking about cultural thinking. There's, there's, a, there's a Christian mindset and there's a, a, a worldly mindset, culture. The culture looks at the church and just thinks, you're all about stuff. You're all about materialism. If anything's crept into the church, it's materialism. If anything has stopped us, it's the fact that nowadays we want a pastor who looks a certain way and knows the right people and is connected, has so many followers, preaches just such a, such a message that you would possibly see on a TED Talk. We want to see a message that wouldn't offend anybody but would encourage everybody. And a message that really doesn't say anything but says a lot of nothing at the same time. A message that really won't offend you, really won't bother you. But my friend, we've forgotten what Paul said, that the gospel is offensive, double meaning implied. The gospel gains ground. The gospel is going to offend you. It should bother you. There should be parts of the scripture when it's opened that you should say, that hurts, I don't like it, and you should change. You see, we've gotten used to a Christianity that it's like when you break your arm, somebody comes to you and says, oh, you got a bone sticking out, but you're fine. Don't go to a doctor. You're fine. Let's play football. You're like, no, I should go to a doctor. No, no, no. Just think thought, positive thoughts. Just praise your way through the pain. You ever heard that? You're like, but I got a bone sticking out. That looks pretty serious. No, just praise your way through the pain. And I get praise your way through the pain. I, I get it. But there comes a point you say, no, you should probably go to a doctor and deal with that pain. The pain is to let you know something needs to be fixed. But yet too often, we're James, we look into a mirror beholding our natural selves and turn again, not making any, any changes. You see, that's what we are. We just look in the mirror and say, huh, not, don't need to change anything. It's kind of like the old 70s uh, sitcom show. Remember the opening? I just remember Ron Howard, the other actor. I need somebody older that they remember. He looks in the mirror, he's about to comb his hair. Help me out. Shout it out. What is that show? The Fonz. Happy Days. There we go. And he's about to comb his hair, and he's like, nah. How many Christians are like that? We come to church, and we're like, yeah, I should change. Nah. I'm good. How many Christians, we just come in, and we just think, no, no, I don't want to change anything. I don't want to change my lifestyle. I don't want to change the fact that I should stop sleeping around with somebody I'm not married to. I don't want to stop the fact that I, that I kind of carouse around and dabble in some illicit substance. I, I don't want to change that. I don't want to change the fact that I gossip about people in the church. I don't want to change that. I don't want to change the fact that I have lustful thoughts. I don't want to change that. I don't want to change the fact that I deal with jealousy, and I get mad at people, and I won't uh, deal with my temper. I, I don't want to deal with those things. I just want to come to a church that just kind of, man, makes me feel good all the time. Doesn't ever talk about sin. Well, you wouldn't have liked Peter. You wouldn't have liked him. Because when it came down to time with Peter, Peter had the glow of glory. He had the aroma of the anointed one. People knew that he had been around Jesus. It was evident. When I was growing up in Fresno, I had a friend that lived directly across from my house. And so I'd just hop the fence, and I'd go into his yard. And his name was Anton, and, and we'd hang out. Anton had a big boxer. Anybody know what those dogs are? They're great dogs as long as you are in their yard with them. But jumping over the fence, you've got to beat. And the dog's name was Max. You just had to, it was short for Maximus. And you just had to beat Maximus jumping and trying to eat you, okay? But otherwise, Max was a great dog. So I'd jump over the fence, and I'd hang out with my friend Anton for uh, just all day. Now, Anton's mom started coming to my parents' church, and they got saved, and his brother got saved. But his dad never, just wouldn't ever get saved or anything like that, never came to church. And his dad was a chain smoker, just smoked like a chimney all day, every day, always smoking. And so my parents, whenever I'd get home from spending some time at Anton's, they'd be like, Makai, go change your clothes right now. 
And I'd be like, why? What's wrong? Why do I got to change my clothes? They're like, you need to change your clothes. Go throw them in the laundry right now. And I was like, what? What's wrong? I didn't realize that when you're around somebody who smokes constantly, your clothes start to smell like smoke. But I had been in it so long, I was unaware of it. Some of us have been around and we've gotten comfortable with things we never should be comfortable with. Some of us are comfortable with sins. We're casual with sins. We're so comfortable with them. They're our pet sins. And instead of dealing with them, we're like, no, I don't notice it. It's not that big of a deal. But when we get in the presence of God, God's not comfortable with those. Because God is a holy God and expects his people to walk in holiness. And he needs a church that seeks after holiness. And he's a people that are surrendered to him. And that's what he's looking for. You see, they were not impressed by anything other than their intimacy with God. I wish that could be said of us. That people look at you and I and they say, the only thing about you that's impressive is the fact that you have this deep walk with God. That's the only thing about you that I'm so impressed by. And that goes in line with 1 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul said, the preaching of the cross is of those who perish foolishness. It doesn't make sense. And so you and I, we do look funny. We do look odd. We are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. We are different. And today, you have a modern era of Christianity that's trying to make everything so palatable. We're supposed to look like everybody else. There is no difference. There's no difference in the way we talk. There's no difference in the way we act on social media. There's no difference in we act when when we're out with them and friends. We, We think the same. We act the same. We talk the same. And they're surprised that on Sunday, you go to church. They should never be surprised that you go to church. They shouldn't be. They should be like, I knew it. You didn't even have to say you went to church. Because when I see you at lunch and you're praying before you have lunch, dead giveaway. When I see you at lunch and I see you texting your wife that you love her while everybody else is trying to figure out how they can uh, uh, get, get away from the old battle axe, as they say. There's something different about you. There's something different about you. On the weekends, you want to be with your family. Everybody else is dreading the fact that they got to be with their family. There's something different about you. You see, today in the church, we've lost the art of being different. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. But yet today, we're like, no, 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 no. we got to contextualize. Let's look like them, act like them, dress like them. Then why do I need to go to your church? I can just go to the nightclub. It looks the same. You see, today, we're coming to a crossroads even in the church. And I don't know if you're sensing it, but I sure am sensing it. That you are seeing now the church totally take two different paths. And I'm concerned for the church at large. I'm concerned for the church at large that will say on national TV, CNN, to say church is non-essential. We're just trying to be a good neighbor. So we shouldn't meet. So by implication, any church who does meet is a bad neighbor. Andy Stanley. Yeah, a guy that will get on CNN and say, I don't think you should meet. How many other churches is he influencing? How many other people are going to die and go to hell because here's a man who says, oh, you shouldn't meet. And then when you see at the same time the George Barna poll says one-third of Christians have stopped watching online services. One-third of all the Christians in the United States have stopped watching online. And now you're saying, hey, this online thing is working great. Liar, it's not. You've played your hand, Andley. I thought it started when you said the Old Testament doesn't matter, the Ten Commandments doesn't matter, but now you've gone to the next step. You've totally played your hand. But now you're saying the church does not matter. It's non-essential. Wait a minute, you're right. There's something about the church that is non-essential. I I understand that, but understand who you're talking about. The church is the ecclesia. The ecclesia is a called-out assembly. The called-out assembly is not a place, it's a people. You're saying the people are non-essential? That's really what he said. So understand, when people are saying that, you got to understand the church is not necessarily a building. We get that. It's the people. So you're saying for so long, I can act like however, talk like whoever, and just be whatever. Wait a minute, that's not what Scripture wants us to. Here these men took a stand. They said, we've got to obey God. Imagine in the book of Exodus, chapter number 1, the Pharaoh of that day came to the Hebrew midwives and said, when the Hebrew midwives are giving birth, murder all the male children. Scripture tells us in Exodus chapter number one that the Hebrew midwife said this, we fear God and we won't do that. Skip down to verse number 16. The Bible says, and God dealt well with the midwives because they obeyed. Go to Exodus chapter number two. Once again, the Pharaoh said, all male children must be killed. There was two parents that feared God. They had a little boy. His name was Moses. 
They made a little, little life-saving vessel and they put him in the river. If they would have obeyed the law of the land at that time, we would never have had Moses. You would never have had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So we have to be very careful because understand, government, you give them an inch, they take a foot. You give them a foot, they take a yard. You give them a yard, they take a mile. They take, 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 take. It's never going to stop. So when the church just says, let's capitulate, understand you're giving away your religious freedom. And if there's ever anything that's under attack today, it is religious freedom. It started here in Acts chapter number 4. Why? Because these men preach an exalted Savior. They preach an exclusivity of salvation. We preach the same thing. Of course Satan's against us. And of course he will use anything in hell to stop the church. So what the church needs to do is to be aware. And we need people that we spend so much time with God, we're not intimidated by the world. But here's what's so amazing. I love this. Go down to verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. Wait a minute. Who's this guy? You ever just get to Scripture and like, who's this guy? Who's with? I thought it was Peter and John, which is an interesting combination. Because these two used to always be at each other's throats, remember? Remember John? John got his mom to go ask Jesus if he could sit on the right-hand side of God, all right? And then Peter comes in at the very end before Jesus ascended and said, hey, I know you just told me my future, how I'm going to die, but what about John? How's he going to die? Like, these two are quite a pair, okay? Like, they're always at it, but now you see them united. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit can do. It can bring two people that don't always get along, and now they're getting along. So you've got Peter and John, but who's this third man? Who is he? I'm glad you asked. Go to Acts chapter number three. We're going to do a Bible study. I hope you come and bring a Bible on Sundays, and I hope you don't mind opening it and spending some time looking at God's Word. I don't just want to throw up a verse, and you just kind of think, well, that's, that's nice. One little verse. That's really good. Memorize this. It's not Sunday school. This is a Bible study, and I hope you're okay with that, and I hope you're okay with bringing people that need to know God's Word, and we're just going to look into it, and if you've got places to go, then I understand. You've you got places to go. I get it, but when it comes to God's Word, let's look at it. Let's rightly divide the Word of Truth. And as Paul Harvey would say, this is the rest of the story. Notice verse number one of Acts chapter number three. Now Peter and John went together to the temple at the, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. The man in Acts chapter number 4 is this man. The man who for 40 years had laid at the temple gates begging for alms. You see, and this is very important, church, and please get this. Now that this man could stand, you knew where he stood. Many of you have received Jesus as salvation, but we don't know where you stand. Your employer does not know where you stand. Your own spouse does not know where you stand. Your children do not know where you stand. Your parents do not know where you stand. Your employees don't know where you stand. The culture around you, your neighbors around you, the community around you doesn't know where you stand or who you stand for because you're what we call the silent majority. And I'll show up in November. I'm silent, but I'm coming for you, Biden. I'm going to vote because I'm the silent majority. I'm also a silent And I watch silent films. Isn't it amazing how Christians today were just these silent, I don't want anybody to know. I call that not silent or secret Christians. I think you're actually ashamed. I think you actually are ashamed of what this book actually says. I think you're actually ashamed that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction of righteousness. I think you're convicted by some of the things this Bible says because it 
examines your heart and your life like it examines me and it breaks me open inside and it tears me up. And it makes me fall on my knees and makes me say, God, I'm not worthy. It's not where I lift up my eyes and say, oh, God, I'm so glad that I'm not like that person. I'm so glad I don't act like that person. No. You see, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. And when we open God's word, we see. And we're humbled by it. Because God reveals who we are. God, he shows us our true state. But today, I'm so ashamed of Christians. Why? Because we're this secret party, just kind of hanging out under the surface. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We might Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner because those are like special dinners. And you, you have to pray before that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And when, when, when somebody's getting married, maybe, maybe I'll go to church or, you know, and, and, and Christmas and Easter, yeah, yeah, I'll show up with the Bible or something, you know. And, and, and now I get it. I, I get it. Some of you are like, Pastor, look, I got my Bible. I, I know you have a Bible on your tablet and your iPhone. I get it. I'm just getting back to I think we should take notes and kind of see in God's word some things. And I think it's a great testimony to everybody around you when they see you with the Bible. That's what I'm saying. Now, that being said, out of the way, I'm deeply concerned that when people look at the modern-day Christian, they're so confused. In my generation, when I grew up, the big debate was, can Christians get tattoos? Well, that debate's long gone. In my generation, when I grew up, it was Christians don't go to movies, we don't go to malls, we don't listen to rock music. Okay, those are the big things. When I, when I was in youth group, that youth pastor, his sermons every Wednesday night was, no malls, no movies, and no music. I was like, great, we're Quakers. <laughs> Excellent. Where's my plow and my mule? Got to go find me a woman who can churn butter, you know? And I was like, nothing to do. Nothing to do. All right? But nowadays, we've gone way past that. Can't you agree? Nowadays, the debate among Christians is, should we smoke weed or not? I'm just saying. Christians sleeping around, you know, it's like, mm, I don't know. These are the things that Christians today are kind of wondering. We're, we've, we've way gone past the debate about tattoos and drinking and, and, and malls and movies. We've, we've gone way past that. Now we're on to things that I'm like, what? Now we're on to things about LGBTQ stuff that we're like, yeah, come on, open and affirming. And I'm like, where have we gone? Where are we at nowadays? Where has the church gone to? And the church, by and large, has simply said, I don't want to offend anybody because if I offend you, then I can never reach you. Jesus never took that approach. As a matter of fact, whenever the Pharisees came around, he said, you vipers, call that seeker sensitive preaching. He went right after it. He said, you guys are whitewashed sepulchers filled with dead man's bones. He never was out there to try and reach the masses. As a matter of fact, the masses kept coming back to him because they understood that this man has the words of life. And they said, where should we go? You have the words of life. They said, you're finally telling it like it is. You see, we used to call sin, sin. And we used to call truth, truth. But nowadays, truth is relative. And nowadays, truth is what's trending. And nowadays, we jump on the bandwagon never asking the question, where is this band going? We just jump on. This is the hype train. Doesn't matter where the train's going, but this is the hype. Let's go. And we don't consider the question, where is this train going to take me? Where is this train taking the church, the big C church today? Because you're seeing the big C church jump on a train that they don't understand is headed toward apostasy. Because they're not searching the scriptures. They're not looking at it and saying, wait a minute, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because we just want to jump in all these movements that just sweep us up. And generation, younger generation, hear me. Don't think you're the only ones to ever have to deal with a movement. Because there's a previous generation sitting in the same room that they dealt with the 60s and 70s movement. They've dealt with their movement. There's always been movements. You think, man, I just got to get in on this. Otherwise, this is, this is it. I, got, I, I, I might miss my moment. Be careful when you're just jumping on the hype. Be careful. And let's go back to God's word and say, wait, what does God's word say about this? You see, here's a man that now that he could stand, it wasn't like, oh, I got salvation. That's good. I've got my get out of hell free card, so I'm going to live however I want to. And guess what? You'll see me in heaven. That's all good. Now, this man said something in my life has changed. After 40 years, there's a change. But I want you to see how it started. Notice verse number five, it says, so he gave them his attention. Peter said, and I love it, he said, look at us. 
Here's a man, he's begging. And you could just see him laying at the temple gates. And he's begging. And Peter says, hey, look at me. And at first, that's kind of bold, isn't it? It's like, whoa, wow, who are you, Peter? Because Peter wanted to get his attention. In verse number five, so he gave, gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from him. He's excited. He's like, excellent. I might get some money for lunch or dinner. There's a great falafel place around the corner. I'd love to get another falafel. Let's, you know, and he's excited. But Peter says, silver and gold have I not, but such as I have, give I thee. You see, something God does, God does exactly what Peter does. God first gets your attention to change your direction. Some of you, through all this crisis and everything that's going on with COVID-19, with the recession or with the job loss and with health crisis, with everything going on in the, in the political spectrum, God is simply trying to get your attention. Do you realize that? God is trying to get the attention of a generation. But there is a generation in the church, by and large, who said, oh, we're not going to listen. I said, no, 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 we're not going to listen. We're going to go do our own thing. We're going to jump on a hype train, and we're not going to ask the question, where is this train going? Because this train is supporting a movement that Christians, when you open up the Bible, cannot support. And that's offensive to many of us because we want to be PC, and we think we're not going to be able to reach them. But we are to warn people that the bridge is out, that that will destroy your life. They're going to make decisions that will ruin their life. And then they're going to come back and look at us and say, wait a minute, you had the truth and you never shared it with me? So I spent years and decades in a movement, in a lifestyle that utterly destroyed my life and you said nothing because you wanted me to like you? Then you are no friend to me. You do not love me. You do not truly care. And if a Christian would step back and say, wait a minute, what does real love look like? I love my children deeply. And the other day, I took them to Target. And their little grabby, grabby hands wanted everything at Target. And you say, well, a good dad that loves his children would buy them whatever they want. You're right. I'm a terrible dad who's broke. <laughs> and I was like, no, you can look, can't touch. Because I think it's okay for you to admire something without having to acquire something. It's another thing. See, a, a, a bad father would just give his kids whatever he wants. A good father knows how to withhold from his children. Because my children can easily act spoiled and I don't want them to. I want them to earn things. I want them to work for things. I want them to develop something called character and integrity and have good habits. And I want them to be able to take care of themselves. And when they're after 18 and after they go to college, I don't want them coming back home. That's what I want. And I know that's a lot to ask. I just want my house with just my wife and I. Okay, that's it. That's it. It's all I want. Okay. And we're going to have a no shirt. No, never mind. I, I won't go there. This church, keep it holy. You see, first of all, God first must get your attention to change your direction. Does God have your attention? Whatever divides your mind diverts your attention. And if there's anything that's happening right now, it's divide our mind. I'm seeing families divided politically. I'm seeing churches divided politically. I'm seeing churches divided on mass, no mass, singing, no singing, preaching, no preaching, gathering, no gathering. And I'm seeing pastors attacking one another based on these issues. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? If God said something to him, then leave him alone. And if God said something to them, leave him alone. If God said it, but what's happening, I'm seeing pastors, I'm saying, hey, have you prayed about this? Have you sought God about this? Or you just follow CNN about this? At least pray over it. At least come back and say, you know what? I, just, I see it from God's word this way. Excellent. I can support you. I can be friendly. We don't have to be friends. You know that's a possibility for Christians, right? I can be friendly. We don't have to be friends. I don't have to be your BFFs. We don't have to meet up and have coffee and go shopping and pick out outfits for each other. We don't have to. But I can be on your side and you can be on my side. And we can love each other, we can lift up one another, and we can pray for each other, and we can be there to help encourage one another. But today in our current climate, there is this divisiveness that's happening, and instead of saying, wait a minute, God doesn't want us divided, and yet that's what's happening right now. We have a divided mind which diverts our attention. And God wants our eyes on him. Hebrews 12, 1. 
looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him despised the cross and endured it with shame. Understand, that's what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to have eyes on Jesus. Remember, we started in January. We started with a sermon entitled Target. We said we're going to have our eyes on the target, and the target is Jesus Christ. How easy it didn't take long for us to get off the target. Very quickly, all of a sudden, it was like, oh, man, this is a pandemic. This is an emergency. We, we got to drop that. We got to get away from that. And we got we to just bunker down the hatch. We just got to survive this thing. And we kind of threw God out the window. Everybody wants to know how to get help with COVID and not with Christ. The lines for COVID help are a mile long, and the lines for Christian help are nobody. And what we need to come back to is we say, no, I want people to know where I stand. I want it to be clear. I want people to know that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the hope of glory. I'm not ashamed of this gospel. This gospel is life. You see, God must first get your attention. But then when God gets your attention, he he can exceed your expectation. Do you find it interesting what this man asked for? Did you notice what he asked for? What did he ask for? Shout it out. Talk back to me for a minute. What did he ask for? Money. He asked for money. What do you think he wanted more than anything in all the world? I would say he'd want to be able to walk, wouldn't you? But what is he asking for? Money. I think some of us have a deep need that we just won't ever ask God for it. We're like this man. We're like, God, it's too big to be able to ask to walk. So God, how about you just kind of you know, just, just give me a couple bucks. Wait a minute. God has unlimited resource. He can do anything. He can exceed your expectations. There are people that are sitting in dead, lifeless marriages who are just like, that's ah, too big of a thing to ask God for. Are you kidding me? There are people who are sitting in stale lives that they have a calling on their life, and they're thinking, that's ah, too big to ask for God. It's too big a thing. I'll just ask for something small that I know God can take care of. That is a lack of faith. And how many Christians are walking with a lack of faith? We're too afraid to ask God for the big things. Here's this man, and he did not know that Peter was about to exceed his expectations. God can exceed your expectations. He can give abundantly above all that we ask or think. But yet here you and I as Christians, we're coming to God asking for these small little things, small dreams, small desires, small prayer requests. Instead of making our request known to God, Hebrews 4, let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may find help in time of need. Instead, we come timid. Oh, God, uh, please take this Big Mac and may it bless my body. Are you kidding me? That's all you're going to ask God for? You're not going to ask God that, wait a minute, Lord, give me a passion for something. God, give me something big to pray for. Give me something. Some of you are single. You say, God, give me a man. Give me a woman. God, give me a great marriage. God, give me a job. God, give me children that love you. What are, you, what are these big things? I feel like the Christian community has settled for such little things like this man because we think it's too big to ask God for. Nothing is too big to ask God for. But yet we're holding back on what God wants to do. He can exceed your expectations. Here's this man, that's why he's leaping and jumping, because he got something he didn't even think to ask for. Talk about the goodness of God. Your God can exceed expectations. And when God exceeded his expectations, all of a sudden he said, I got to stand with this one. I got to go with him. He, He did more for me than I thought he would ever do. God can do more for you than you ever thought he could do. And yet too often we walk away from that God When we don't want to be found out, we don't want anybody to know, we keep it on the down low, that we follow God. I want to give you one last truth. Acts 3, verse 12 says, So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this, or why look so intently to us, as though by our own power or our own godliness we made this man walk? He said it wasn't our power. Verse 16, he said, in his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. What is he doing? He's once again pointing the glory back to God. He's saying, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. God did it. God did it. It's all God. It's all him. It's always has been. If you're taking notes, write this down. R.I.P. I've talked about this several times. R.I.P. for many of us stands for rest in peace. 
And we think, yes, I'm going to rest in peace one day when I die. I'm going to rest in peace. I want to change it. I want you to rest in power. God's power. Because that's what he said. He said, it wasn't my power, it was God's power. It wasn't my willpower, it was God's power. Christians need to rest in the power of God. We talk about God's power in songs and hymns, but we never truly think about power. Have you ever thought about power? You and I, we know power. We've interacted with power. I, I lived in Boron, California. Anybody know where Boron, California is? Yes, three, four people, five. Well, I was a lot more Boron people here than I thought. Why don't you all... We would have tripled the population if we all would have been there at the same time. But Boron was not much to look at. 20 Mule Team Road, Borax Mine. Well, I lived there for about two years. I was my brother's youth pastor, and he lived in this old cinder block house, and that was right next door to Edwards Air Force Base. And Edwards Air Force Base, they would all, the test pilots would be there, and they'd be breaking the sound barrier. So you'd be sitting in the house watching TV or reading a book or just doing whatever you were doing, and all of a sudden you would hear this kaboom, and the whole house would just shake and it would just rattle and you would jump out of your seat if you weren't used to it all the locals they were totally used to it because they had lived there for years and years and years but anybody new to boron all of a sudden you thought man what is happening you'd fall to the ground climb under a table because you think there's about an earthquake that we're about to die that we're under attack and no it's just a sonic boom Man, you could go out to Edwards Air Force Base, and there's a salt flat out there where they would uh, fly these jets, and they would be going so fast. And all of a sudden, they would just break that sound barrier, and you would just feel the power. I took my kids. We were walking, and we, we went above by our house. There's the Monterey Highway. There's the train tracks. We got up on this footbridge. We were standing up there, and then a train was coming. My kid said, Daddy, can we stay? Can we stay? We want to see the train. And they were all happy. But as that train got closer, it got louder. It started to rumble. The horn started to go. And then all of a sudden, they got scared because the power was shaking the bridge we were on. The horn was blowing. Everything was rattling around. There was power. I've been to waterfalls. I proposed to my wife by a waterfall. It was in the summertime. Wasn't much of a waterfall, but hey, it was a little bit of water. But you go there when the heavy rains and you could be by a waterfall and there's power. Maybe you've been by an explosion. Power. There's military power. There's political power. There's PowerPoint. There's all different types of power. But no power compares to God's power. But the power we are so hesitant to rest in is God's power. God has a power that can take care of so much. But we just kind of think, no, God wouldn't. He couldn't. And we limit God. We need to rest in his power in this situation. You see, enemies flee in the presence of greater power. Satan is a weaker enemy. And when God's power shows up, he has to flee. The enemy is invisible, but he is not invincible, friend. And when God's power shows up in the church, it will manifest itself in powerful ways. Well, we will see the lost come to Christ. We will see confession of sin. We will see true unity. We will see things that we've never seen. We will see things like they see in the book of Acts. We understand God's power because we serve a powerful God. But the question this evening is you can stand, but where do you stand? There's an old hymn that we used to sing. It asked a question, who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Who will be his helpers, others' lives to bring? Who will lead the world side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? And I love the chorus because the chorus is a response to the question. And it says, by thy grand redemption, by thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. We are thine. Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? You can stand, but where do you stand? So many people today we stand for nothing, so we fall for everything. And today, it's time where Christians, once again, we come to the valley of decision.
This is our Mount Carmel. Why halt you between two opinions? If God be God, then follow him. And if Baal be God, then follow him. Whichever God answers by fire, that's the one I will follow. Today, there's been too long of debate on who we're going to follow and where Christians stand. And may we once again see people called back to commitment to follow Jesus. Not for wealth, not for fame, not for fortune. Because we're like the lame man for 40 years, sin sick, broken, no hope, begging. And then a preacher shows up and gives us something we never thought to ask for in the power of Jesus. And our life is forever changed. God can forever change your life. He wants to. For those who are surrendered to him. Can we all please stand? With heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to, in just a moment, go into an invitation. But I believe in moments like this where God is speaking and convicting to hearts. We shouldn't rush through a moment like this. I believe in times like this, we need to step back and say, God, I'm done playing games. God, you are the Lord of my life. This is not a joke. I'm not playing games. But for too long, nobody knew where I stood, what I stood for. I wanted to look like everybody because I wanted everybody to like me and I wanted to fit in. But I wasn't born to fit in. I was born to stand out. I was born to be different. I'm a child of God. I'm a citizen of heaven. This world is not my home. So as you're sitting there, standing there, you're pondering, and maybe there's some things that were convicting. Maybe there were some things that were offensive, things that bothered you. And before you get mad at the preacher, maybe you take a moment and ask God to search your heart, to search the word, and to see what he wants you to do about it. I believe many times people get angry, they get upset. They're like the rich man. They don't want to do what Jesus told them to do. They just want Jesus to affirm their way of life and their thinking, their philosophy. And so this evening, as we prepare to worship one last song, I want to open up the front. If you want to pray there in your seat or you want to come to the front and kneel, spend some time with God in prayer, I would invite you to do so. We hope you were encouraged by today's message from Pastor Micaiah. If it was a blessing to you, don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week. If you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.